The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of our contestant engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Free Fall. I'm the host, Andy Steele. Well, here we are coming upon another 9-11 anniversary. This is going to be the 20th one after the events that took place and really changed a lot of lives here in the 21st century, including mine and, of course, including our guests today. And we're joined by Dylan Avery and Kelly David. Dylan Avery is a producer and director known for Olsen, Asteroid, Black and Blue, Seven, and of course Loose Change, which initially woke a lot of people up to the problems surrounding the 9-11 official story. Now he's going to have a new film coming out called The Unspeakable, which we'll be talking about today. And he's joined by Kelly David, who is the Chief Operating Officer at AE 9-11 Truth. And she's also the executive producer on the upcoming film, The Unspeakable. She received a Bachelor of Science degree from New York Institute of Technology back in 2002, and she immediately launched her career in management from that. Over the next 11 years, she helped organize the day-to-day operations of several businesses in New York, where she grew up and then moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, and she's done a heck of a lot for AE 9-11 Truth, and by extension, the 9-11 Truth Movement. So it's an honor to have both these individuals on the show today. Guys, welcome to 9-11 Freefall. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. So, The Unspeakable, and I've seen portions of this film. This is going to be one of the best 9-11 Truth films. I really believe this. Uh, in, in many years, it's very different than what we're used to in a good way. Uh, but Dylan, I'm going to let you lay it out for our audience. Talk about The Unspeakable. Essentially, what is this film about? Well, uh, I would say that this film focuses um, pretty heavily on four people that were lost on 9-11 and the kind of subsequent ripples that it had uh, amongst their friends and family. Um, you know, we not only, you know, it's it's not quite accurate to say that we focus on a bunch of 9-11 family members because we focus on Bill Brenier, who was, friends with Frank D. Martini. Um so you know we have a we have a, a multifaceted approach um to you know kind of the losses that were incurred on nine eleven and how they affected people in different ways and how different people have come to terms with it and turned their grief into activism or uh lack thereof. Um so yeah it's you know, it's uh, it was an opportunity to do something for the 20th anniversary that was not only a commentary on 9/11 itself, but obviously where we're at as a country, uh, actions that were taken in the name of these 9/11 family members and survivors, and uh, you know, just a just a chance to say something uh, and a chance to you know revisit some people like Bob McElvain, who you know I've always known and have obviously had great respect for. Um, so it was nice to be able to, you know, sit down and interview him and, you know, really kind of 
spend an extended amount of time with him. Um, so yeah, Kelly, how about you? Yeah. What, what do you got? <laughs> That's a good way of explaining it. Yeah. It's basically about you know, four people who passed away on nine eleven and their family members and in some cases, friends or extended family. And um, I feel like it's a real different uh, way of going about a 9-11 Truth documentary. We're telling more of an overall story about these people's journey. And um, it, like I said, it's different, so I think it will go pretty far. It's going to be pretty difficult for your average person not to watch this and feel for these people. So, yeah, um, it's going to be different, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I was just in an interview earlier today, and somebody had asked me about the biggest obstacles towards getting the information out. And a point I made is a point I've made on this show before. In my view, we've already made the case. These buildings were brought down in controlled demolitions. The science proves it. At the very least, it justifies a new investigation. At the very least. Our biggest obstacle now, of course, is the psychology the cognitive dissonance, the emotional impact that this event left on the public consciousness. And of course, that impact and that cognitive dissonance is heightened by the corporate media and the government. So really, it's a psychological issue that we're dealing with now. That's my view on this. And that's why I think it's so important to focus, again, on the people that we do this for, for the families and, of course, for the victims who can't speak for themselves anymore. And that's what I like so much about this film. Actually, a person, a family member that I showed uh, what, I, what I've seen of this to actually uh, started crying during it. Uh, and I think it's going to have that kind of impact on the people who watch this. Dylan, I know that you have developed a lot as a filmmaker since you did Loose Change so many years ago. And you add something new to every film that you do in terms of just the style and you know, the overall approach that you take. Uh, how will this film be different than other 9-11 films you've done and basically other 9-11 films you've seen over the years? Well, I think the most apparent difference, um, and I think that people will definitely get a glimpse of that at the very least uh, in the trailer that I believe will probably already have been released by the time this show is released. Um so if uh, you'll see in the trailer <laughs> that uh, there's no uh, there's no footage of 9/11, um, and so far I've made it a significant chunk of the way through editing the movie uh, without using any archival footage of 9/11, uh, which I think is really interesting, um, and so it, it really it really forces you know, the edit to just focus on the people and the stories um, and not kind of just rely on using those same shots over and over and over again. Um, I don't know. I mean, it might, it might pop up once or twice near the ending of the movie. I still haven't quite committed to that, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's different. It's certainly nothing like what people would expect from this organization or I think even from me. Um, I mean, there's people that have been kind of like following my work over the last couple of years and like, um, you know, I, I pitched it to someone that I was kind of taking like the black and blue approach to 9-11 with this project where, you know, with black and blue, like there were all these, you know, whenever someone is killed by the police or beaten up by the police, you know, it's always distilled down to like a headline and 
you know, this person was shot at this location and et cetera, et cetera. And then you more often than not never hear anything about it again. And so for me, it's like, I wanted to, I wanted to like go beyond the headlines, so to speak. Um, and so for this, you know, in kind of the same vein, like going into it with Bob McElvain, I told him like, yes, you know, unfortunately you have, you are going to have to tell that same story that you've had to tell for the last 20 years, but you know, you're also, you're also going to be able to talk about other things and those things will actually make it into the movie. So, you know, he gets to talk about Bobby. He gets to talk about his history with peaceful tomorrows. Um, there's footage of him and his wife, Helen, you know, like I've, I've really tried as much as possible to just kind of highlight these people as people. Um, and you know, uh, just try to avoid, making just another talking head documentary because I think that's the one thing that we're all both kind of generally tired of and especially, you know, with the stuff that comes out of this movement more often than not. I mean, that's really just kind of the stuff we produce, which is fine. Um, and I've obviously done it many times myself, but I was really, I was really excited to go into this and to try to find ways to avoid doing that as much as possible and to really just try to find a way to just find a central story and just keep driving it forward and rely more on like scenes than interviews. If any of that makes any sense. No, I agree with you. And uh, you know, you talk about the talking head approach and, and certainly it's been effective in getting information out. And we've been very informationally focused in the nine 11 truth movement for a number of years and that's had its impact. Um, however, what I love in this is, as you mentioned, the personal touch actually diving deep, with these people's stories, things that you never really think about. I mean, you see Bob McElvain at forums and, and uh, interviews talking about his son's death, but to actually go into his house, to actually go into Bobby's bedroom, as you do at one point in here, and just really put together the life that was lived before it was so tragically cut short 20 years ago, I mean, that is something that I always emphasize. These, this nearly 3,000 people died number, it's just, you know, it's, for some people it sounds just like a number, you know, and we focus on it, we say it's terrible, we take in the magnitude of it, but those were nearly 3,000 entire experiences, and uh, you actually get to live it through Bob's eyes and through the eyes of Drew De Palma and Matt Campbell and uh, all of these folks that appear in this film. That's why I like this. It really reminds us again why we do what we do here and what we're seeking justice for. Now, Kelly, I know you were very deeply involved in this project, uh, really you know, pulled a lot together to make this happen for the 20th anniversary. I want to hear it from your experience, You know, your experience of this film. What are some of the things that really stuck out to you along the way? What was it like for me? Um... Well, it was interesting, you know, it sort of makes you, you know, sort of like a reminder of why we do what we do, especially for me, because, you know, I'm always so wrapped up in all these different things, trying to make sure that the organization is running well, that, you know, sometimes we kind of like lose sight of, you know, why are we really doing this? So to be around these family members and talking to them and listening to them it sort of, you know, hits you that, you know, this is why we do what we do. And even though sometimes it can be frustrating and hard, it's, it's, um, it's a good, you know, reminder of, of why. Why are we doing this? We're doing it for people like Bob, people like Drew De Palma, 
who lost their family members. It was interesting, you know, to be there for all of it. It was also pretty sad, you know. Everyone was, you know, obviously upset and telling their story, and so it just makes you want to, you know, fight even harder to try to get some justice for these people. And I think the brilliant way that Dylan put this together, where it's much more about rather than sit down interviews, it's about these people and their journey and their struggle and the psychology of it and seeing them in action rather than having them just sit down repeating the same stuff over and over again. It's completely different. And um, I really love the way it's coming together and I'm impressed that Dylan was able to do all of this so quickly and so well. And also, uh, I have to give a shout out to our director of photography because he's absolutely fantastic. And I said to Dylan earlier today, I couldn't imagine working with anyone else you know, other than Dylan and Ryan O'Hara, our director of photography. I think we make a great team and I'm really happy with the way things are turning out. Yeah, there's a lot of unsung heroes involved in this film. And, you know, I've heard a lot about these people, and uh, Dylan's got a great crew. So, uh, Dylan, go ahead and talk a little bit more about them. Yeah, I figured uh, if Kelly wasn't going to plug Ryan, then I was going to. I actually <laughs> thought, you, I thought, you were, I thought you were going to lead with Ryan. I thought you were going to be like, well, the amazing, the most amazing part of the shoot has been Ryan. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, Ryan's a... Ryan's great, you know. He's a he's a guy I met through the uh, the documentary that I edited while I was living out in L.A. and just kind of stayed in touch with him throughout the years. And you know, we hired him for you know a small scale thing uh, back in 2017, and then obviously we hired him for Seven. And you know, we were all obviously very excited to bring him back for this. And you know, he recommended a, a camera change from what we had shot seven on and I was initially hesitant just because I was really happy with seven but then you know I looked into it and uh it was the right move like the the movie is gorgeous it would have it would have still looked gorgeous on the Varicams, which is what we shot seven on um but I mean this this movie is is beautiful um and it's I'm it's weird to say that about a movie that's about 9-11 and all these terribly tragic stories um but I mean I I guess if if nothing else it'll make it easier to digest i, I don't know <laughs> like it's weird it's it's weird to describe a movie about 9-11 as beautifully shot but i mean i guess uh, you know people all you know people are going to be making movies about 9-11 i suppose no matter what and especially now i think there's like i was reading an article it's just like here's 19 movies that are coming out for the 20th anniversary and it's like holy <laughs> like it's a lot not that I expect anything different, but I mean that's it. Just goes to show you, like everyone's, everyone's got a take, you know. Everyone's got an angle. Everyone's got something different to say. And I think, I think if nothing else, you know, it's been said. But I think that this is not quite what people are expecting from you guys. Um, you know, in certain in certain veins, it definitely is. But in other veins, it's definitely not. And I I think there'll I don't know. I'm curious. Uh, I would be I would be curious to see how it was uh, uh, not accepted, uh, received. I would be I would be curious to see how it would be received if it weren't for the subject matter, um, and if it weren't for about the people and what these people were saying. Um, I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious to see the reception in general. I'm curious to see the reception to the trailer, uh, which we'll find out soon enough. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a, a hell of a crunch to get it done. And, uh, you know, we're, we're racing across the finish line here, but I mean, everything that's been done so far has been done really well and it's all come together fairly easily, all things considered, uh, knock on wood. So yeah, I'm going to get off this interview and get back to work on it. <laughs> there you go. And I never even met this Ryan person, but I got to give a shout out to him too because some of the imagery that's captured in this film is just perfect and brilliant. I don't want to even give it away. I'm stuck in the spot where I don't want to give away any spoilers and ruin anything for the audience, but there's certainly things I want to talk about maybe after some time passes and everyone's seen it. But the trailer that's coming out, and it should be out by the time this interview runs it starts off with this great image of the freedom tower and the sky above it is so dark and what a way to capture this ironic world that we live in 20 years after the event you know the freedom tower but you have this dreary sky over it and it kind of feels like what we were put into after september 11 sort of this dystopian feel of looking up at these tall buildings in new york city they just capture it so right and there's other things too We'll talk about it on some other day, but uh, uh, certain shots that I've told Dylan that, that was brilliant, perfect. Uh, definitely worth checking out more, and that's an understatement here for me. Um, so, according to our article on the film, let me take a quote from it. Uh, it says, Interwoven with their stories are the elucidating words of psychologist Robert Griffin, who guides the audience through an exploration of trauma and the healing power of bringing suppressed truths to light. Dylan, why did you focus so much on the psychological aspects of our mission in this film that's coming out 20 years later? You know, I just, uh, I wanted to have something different. Maybe that sounds stupid, but, you know, I just, I wanted to have some kind of a take on the post-9-11 world and really not only the unresolved trauma of 9-11 family members who are still searching to this day for answers, but the unresolved trauma of America and of 9-11 and how I feel we never really dealt with our trauma. We never really dealt with 9-11 in a, a healthy way. And I really wanted to attempt to, I don't know if I've pulled it off yet, but I wanted to at least attempt to draw a parallel between the, the pain and the unresolved trauma of 9-11, uh, of these family members and also of America itself and how it also has unresolved trauma that it has yet to properly deal with. Um, and as anyone will tell you, you know, unchecked trauma, uh, when left to simply sit and fester, uh, is not a good thing. So you need to confront your trauma and you need to try to find ways to deal with it in a healthy way. Um, and the worst thing you can do with your trauma is ignore it. And so, unfortunately, I think that's mostly what we did, uh, both immediately after 9-11 and the now 20 years since. We just kind of, we had our we had our commission hearings and we had our investigations into the buildings and we went to war and, you know, we, you know, now have a, a security apparatus that wasn't there before. We have a surveillance state that wasn't there before. We, you know, I... I obviously all the things that we all know now that we all bang on about, but you know, it's the fact of the matter that, you know, I don't think that we dealt with nine 11 in a healthy way. And I don't think it's really a controversial statement to make. Uh, so I was really just hoping to find a way to kind of wrap that message up and 
you know, what these people are still going through after all these years. Um, so again, I, I guess, I guess we'll see if we pulled it off. Do you remember when it brought the idea of a psychologist up? He said, he sent me a text message and said, just go with me here. Do we know any psychologists? And that like was like one of the first things you said right after we got, you know, basically hired to do this job. And I was like, okay. You know, I remember like looking into it and now it just seems like I cannot imagine the film without that aspect to it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I had to, I had to just like throw a wild card into the mix like immediately, just like something to just kind of shake it up and just something. And like the, the other motivation behind it is that I didn't want to have to have like a, like a narrator or a host, you know, I didn't want to have to worry about, uh, you know, having to kind of stitch things together in the edit with like a, a, you know, like a voiceover or whatever. And so I also was kind of hoping to make Robert a little bit of the, a little bit of the host of the movie, a little bit of like the central voice, so to speak. So, yeah, I don't know. It was, you know, it was, it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to, I feel like it's an idea that like came from somewhere else, but, but yeah, like, like you said, Kelly, like I, I definitely am glad we, we took the gamble on it and it so far seems to have worked out pretty well. You know, and it's it's different. It helps break things up, and it, you know, he does he does the job we need him to do. I actually just um, I just threw something in uh, of his like an hour ago, just this new little bit that I found because I had I had something from him somewhere already, but I it wasn't I wasn't a hundred percent in love with it. And then as I was actually going through him for another chapter, uh, I found this other bit, and I was like, ooh, that's actually better for this other thing. So <laughs> like I had to like open up Act One and swap that thing out, but. You know, that's uh, that's editing. Yeah, that's how it works when you come up with uh, some kind of work of art. I mean, your brain starts firing and you start coming up with ideas and it feels like it's coming from somewhere else. It's coming from you, but it feels like it's coming from somewhere else. And I really think this is going to be a masterpiece in this genre or whatever you want to call it. I think this is really going to stand out and uh, a lot of people are going to like it. And you talk about narrators as well. I, I, I like that kind of style. I'm not against narrators, but I like things that can speak for themselves. Just like any creative writing class will tell you, show, don't tell. And I think you accomplish that very well. So Kelly, I want to know about you, because everything we do affects us. You know, it's it's very easy to be very business-like or act like we're all business-like with these things, but every step along the way affects us. What was the most memorable experience for you during your shooting of this film and, and the trips that you guys took? Oh, wow. That's hard. <laughs> most memorable. Um, God, there were so many. I mean, well, we did take a few, you know, we didn't just like run and do an entire, you know, um, finish all the shoots in a week. You know, we, we traveled back and forth a couple of times. We were, I even lost count how many times we met up and, and was working on this. I'm trying to think of, God, what is the most memorable? There, I mean, there's so many moments. I guess I'd have to say uh, when Cyril Weck did, agreed to uh, be part of it, uh, that I had known who he was for a very long time because of his work on the JFK assassination and other t- true crime stories that I I know he had worked on. He, you know, for to me, there's like three forensic pathologists that you'll know if you're a true crime buff, and he he's definitely one of them. And um, Dylan and I really wanted to get him, and he's 90 years old and still working. And do you want to do you want to like 
do you want to like build this story up because like this is actually like a hell of a story. <laughs> like, it is. Well, yeah. yeah. This All is right. like this is kind of this is like kind of one for okay. the record books, and I don't I don't want okay. you to just blow. I mean, and I want you to tell it, but I mean, I'll 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 basically I'll I'll set it up and you take it home. How does that sound? Okay. I'll I'll set them up. Good. I'll set them up. You knock them down. So. You know, obviously, we're we're all, I would imagine, pretty intimately familiar with, you know, Bobby McIlvain and what happened to him and the, the questions that Bob has uh, regarding that subject. So, you know, one of, because we went into this project and Bob was the first shoot on the first day. He was just an interview that had been lined up. He was ready to go. So it's like, all right, great. Let's go interview Bob McIlvain. This will be a great... This will be a nice, great, like, welcome back to the world of 9-11. I couldn't think of anything better than sitting down with Bob. Um, and after doing so, I mean, it really became clear that I was kind of staring the central mystery of this movie in the face. Um, and so, you know, as the, the conversation with Bob turned at one point. I was like, so have you, like... Have you ever gotten like an official opinion on this autopsy that you have? Like, has it, have you ever just shown it to someone and been like, "What does this look like to you?" Um, I mean, his answer was basically like, oh, "I got like a very like a, a pretty limited opinion back in 2007, 2008, um, but basically, no one has ever really looked at it and like given him like a straight answer." Um, and so, coming out of the interview, I was like, "Kelly, can we get an answer? Like, can we?" find someone that we can show Bobby McIlvain's autopsy and get some commentary on. Um, and of course, as, you know, as, as the film progressed um, and, you know, we opened up to the, the Campbell inquiry and what happened to Jeff Campbell, you know, we wanted someone to comment on that as well. So it was like, all right, well now we really need to find a forensic pathologist, uh, you know, someone, someone in that field who we can sit down and be like, look, we have these two cases that we want to talk about. Uh, please give us your professional opinion. I mean, originally, you know, I was like, oh, well, maybe we can get like a montage of people. And, you know, it's like, I just, I needed, I needed, I needed someone to give some kind of closure to that story. I just, I was just driven. I was like, I saw, I saw what Bob had showed me and I was like, I need an answer. Like Bob needs an answer, even though he obviously already knows in his mind what happens. He doesn't need some guy in a suit to be like, this is what happened because Bob knows what happened. But I just, I just wanted to maybe just give the audience some of that closure. So, um, and you know, it was, we were having trouble. So Kelly, take it from there. Tell, talk about your search. We must have called, I don't know, probably about 30 people to in total to try to get someone to agree to look at an autopsy on camera. We had some leads. Some people were interested and, you know, they had, there was one guy who was very interested, and he said that he was having surgery, that we should come back in August. So we did at the beginning of August, and we were just striking out left and right. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, every time I think, you know, we were getting there, they'd either say no or they just wouldn't answer or they couldn't because they had something else going on. And so on our last trip, we were, you know, sort of wrapping up the story of the, the main, you know, the main four characters, and um, we were in Philadelphia, and um, and someone I worked with suggested Cyril Weck. And it's funny because some someone else at AE had suggested him as well, but he had some sort of communication with him in an email about asking about a specific um, family member wanting to look into his brother's death, and Cyril Weck sort of turned him down. 
And so I was like, I'm not sure. What, what is he going to say? So while we're in Philadelphia, I get this email, and I'm like, let's just call him. Let's just see what he says. And we find out his office is closed. He doesn't open again until Monday at 8.30. This is like a Friday night or Saturday. Yeah, it's like it's like Friday at 6 p.m. It's like literally the yeah. worst time for that email to come in. It's like, uh, the yeah. office literally just closed. <laughs> exactly. So, and we were done. We had finished shooting everyone. And so I was like, let's just do this. Like, we're taking a gamble here, but... If this guy agrees, this will be, like, the absolute best thing for this movie. So Dylan and I hopped in the car and drove, what, five hours? <laughs> is it five hours? We, well, we, we told the crew. We told the crew. We're like, all right, so here's the deal. Um, we're done here. We're done here in Philadelphia. Um, we're going to drive to Pittsburgh tomorrow just, uh, just to see. And basically, uh, we're going to... You know, it's like it's it's you know because we had a, a final shoot Sunday morning, and then it's like, all right, we're going to do our final shoot Sunday morning, and we're going to drive to Pittsburgh, and if we strike out, then you all go home, uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're all just kind of rolling the dice here. Hope you're all cool with it, and of course they were because Ryan and Tim are pros. Um, so I'm sorry, Kelly, take it back from there. No, that's okay. Um, and then you know, like it was like a really long drive, and there, like a lot of it, like was we had to go through like tunnels through these mountains. So like Timon and I were constantly joking, like we've climbed mountains to get to you, you know, there was, like this joke going on about this. And I really didn't, I didn't want to get my hopes up too much because who knows. Well, so we got there Sunday night, and then Monday morning, Dylan and I got up early, and the two of us just went straight to his office, and his secretary was there, and... Slow. Slow, yeah, slow. <laughs> and so we told her, you know, why we're here, what we want, and she seems, like, really excited about it. She said, well, he's not here yet, but, that, you know, why don't you just send him an email? So we went we went across the street to Starbucks and wrote, like, you know, I have to write the perfect email for this. And um, we did, like, the two, how long did that email take? Like, a half an hour? Anyway, no, I'm excited. Oh, God, yeah. Like, (laughs) drink drink my entire cup of coffee, like, just (laughs) back and forth. Like, oh, well, maybe we should say this, or uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, but we we got it, and in my opinion, it was a really good email. Anyway, so then. It was. It was an an amazing email. Yeah, so, like, let's just go back to the Airbnb that we had rented and, you know, see what happens. And literally, as we're turning down the street to get there, we get the email back, and he's saying, like, hello, and how about Wednesday at one thirty? I can't remember. Did, wait, I think he wanted us to call him first. And no, 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 him. no. What ha- in, your, in your email, you ended with your phone number. and Because remember, because we were waiting. We were, like, waiting and waiting because, because we were at the Starbucks, like, right around the corner from his office. So we're, like, yeah. just waiting for him to call, and we're just, like... You know, like, uh, let's just uh, let's just go back to the Airbnb. And I was like, you know what? We're going to pull up to the house, and he's going to call us. And, like, literally, we were, like, a couple blocks away from the house. Well, because I told Kelly, you know, it's in this day, day and age, we all get spam calls all day, every day. But I was like, what's what's the what's the Pittsburgh area code? All right, if you, get a, if you get a call from that number, then you know it's Cyril. And sure enough. We get a call. And I put it on speakerphone. I talked to him. He was like, what's this about? I gave him, like, just, like, a brief idea. And he said, how about Wednesday at 1.30? And this is Monday. And I was like, sure. 
So it gave us, like, you know, the next day to prepare for it and everything that we needed. And I actually was telling someone this story lately, and I jokingly said, like, I got so excited after I hung up the phone with him, I sort of beat you up a little bit. I remember punching your arm, like, punching your shoulder, like, yes, we got this. So it was a great, I, I mean, that was, like, the most exciting thing because we wanted it so badly and felt that this would be so much more powerful if we have him, of all people, looking at Bob McElveen's autopsy for the first time and other things, and there's other, there was other stuff that we had found that we wanted him to read on camera and comment about, so I don't want to give the movie away, but in the end, I mean, it, it worked out excellent. We did the interview. We were, like, so short on time. I had already booked my flight home, so, like, we shot the interview and then, like, rushed to, like, pack up everything and drive through. Yeah, like, Ryan had a shoot in L.A. the next day, so there was no, there there was no, like, hey, can you stay tonight, too, you know? Like, it it was... It was just an absolute Hail Mary from start to finish. I'm, I still cannot believe that that all happened. It was like, there's definitely, definitely one for the documentary record books, at least for me personally. Yeah, definitely for me. Guys, I know you worked very hard on this, and I want to make sure I get this in for the audience. Uh, we have a screening, online screening of The Unspeakable happening. Just go to ae911truth.org on September 10th. This will be at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 5 Pacific. Uh, so we're going to be screening the film, and then Rosie O'Donnell is going to be leading the Q&A with family members and other people who appear in this film, talking about it, talking about their own experiences. This is going to be something you do not want to miss. So September 10th, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 Pacific, AE911truth.org. I'll be opening it for us and uh, check it out because it'll be well worth your time. Dylan, Kelly, thank you so much for all the work you did and you guys kind of did this in, in the sense of the film world kind of last minute um, but we got a great product as a result and thank you for just putting yourselves into this fight and keeping on going here as we move forward and I think we are getting closer to having a full acknowledgement of what really happened and getting justice for the families and it's because of the, your work and the work of so many others out there so Thank you. And thank you for coming on 911 Freefall today, too. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Andy. This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. This is Andy Steele. Have a great week. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs>